and welcome to Little Yo Pod, the all things Yosemite podcast. My name is Laura Jackson, and I'm an interpretive guide who has lived and worked in Yosemite National Park since 2004. And I'm here to share some of the stories and features of Yosemite that I have found compelling in my time living and working there. Today, I have a very special treat for you. It's a story from the world of rock climbing. It's a story of adventure, a story of tragedy, a story of pilfered coffee and steak dinners. It's a story of power. It's a story of grit and determination. It's a story that begs the eternal question, is it wrong to make a bundle of cash selling combustible weed to unsuspecting high schoolers? Stay tuned as we bring you Little Yo Pod, the day 6,000 pounds of weed fell from the sky. Last summer, I was on a solo backpacking trip through the Yosemite high country. My trip started from Mono Meadow off of the Glacier Point Road, and it went over Red Peak Pass through the Clark Range uh, to Merced Lake, High Sierra Camp, and then back down to Yosemite Valley. All in all, it was about 45 miles altogether um, in an area of the park that is not regularly visited, so it was really a lovely trip. The first day on the trail, I started a little bit late, and I was met with a thunderstorm and a very heavy downpour. So I sought cover. It was just like so weird in <laughs> this year in Nevada. Not, you know, not that we don't get rain, but for that time of year, it was a little unusual. So of course, it happens while I'm backpacking. I sought cover under a big um, white fir tree, which probably wasn't wise because there was also lightning. So I don't rec- <laughs> recommend find a smaller tree. Um, and so I, f- I found cover and I waited out the storm during the better part of the afternoon. I had to stop for about an hour and a half altogether. And I decided to make up for the lost miles by hiking into the night, which is something I'm not unfamiliar with. Um, but while I was hiking in the dark, I was also listening to podcasts, <laughs> which tends to distract me a little bit. And I missed my junction. And I ended up about four, three to four miles from where I had anticipated to be at, th- at that point. So this actually happens to me a lot. <laughs> I may share some of my getting lost stories with you at some point, but um, <laughs> but I always find myself. <laughs> I always find out where I am. So once I established where I was, uh, which took quite some time because I thought I was walking north and I was actually walking south. It was just so confusing, Um, especially with no, I couldn't see any stars because the clouds were still heavy and there was no sun. So um, I'd lost all sense of direction and um, the trees all around me were disorienting as well. So uh, fortunately, I I know how to (laughs) to read a map if I read it. Found out where I was, um, but just decided to make camp there overnight. So um, the next day, I got up and I started out pretty early, made my way uh, toward Red Peak Pass. And on the way, I passed a lake, well, a couple of lakes that I can only really describe as unremarkable. Uh, They were pretty small. I barely even took notice of them. You see little lakes like this all over the Sierra Nevada. Um, But this lake that I was passing at the junction to Red Peak Pass was Lower Merced Pass Lake. And it 
honestly didn't look like much again on that late summer day. I think it was, um, oh gosh, August or September in 2019. But when I returned from my trip and I went back to work, I was talking about, I was talking about my trip with a coworker and he mentioned Lower Merced Pass Lake and we looked it up on the map and, uh, trying to decide where I was. And, uh, and that's when he mentioned that Lower Merced Pass Lake was at one time probably one of the most sought-after destinations in the Yosemite High Country. So, before I before I get into that, I want to start this story by giving a little bit of history between law enforcement rangers and rock climbers, and this will all tie together in just a bit. Up until 1970, the relationship between the National Park Service and the young people, the young men mostly, staying in Yosemite to climb valley walls was fairly peaceful. Rock climbers kept to themselves in Camp 4, um, the camp across from Yosemite Lodge. Uh, Camp 4 that would become really the hub of climbing activity in Yosemite Valley to this day. Rock climbers were poor. They didn't work. They lived to climb. Not totally unlike today either. (laughs) They would sometimes procure sustenance uh, food from trays of food left over by tourists and cafeterias in the park. And while this behavior may be considered a bit unsavory, it certainly did not seem to be harming anyone. Park rangers mostly turned a blind eye to the small crimes and would sometimes even reach out to climbers to help them with search and rescue efforts. So they had a good relationship. That was until July 4th of 1970. So tensions started to rise in Yosemite as more and more fringe-type visitors arrived starting around Memorial Day of that year. So these hippies were gathering in the meadows, and this was raising complaints of drug use, profanity, public nudity, lewd behavior in general. And the rangers, who previously went only so far as to issue warnings to the (laughs) miscreants, were encouraged to start tightening up enforcement efforts um, for the upcoming 4th of July weekend. There were some rumors that had started to spread that there was going to be this massive uh, Woodstock-style festival expected in Yosemite over the holiday weekend. So all the hippies arrived and crowded into Stoneman Meadow and the rangers who were aware of of this activity, they arrived shortly thereafter. Uh, They came on horseback and pretty much stormed into the meadow to break up the gathering. So we're not really sure how this went down. Only the people there know what happened. You'll get different stories depending on who you talk to. But There was video footage that was taken of that day, and it seems to show park rangers displaying what would be considered unnecessary aggression given the situation. So they were swinging batons, uh, shooting tear gas into the crowd, and then the crowd retaliated by throwing glass bottles at the rangers, and the scene was just total chaos. The rangers were eventually chased from the meadow, and they had to call in backup uh, police reinforcement from neighboring counties all over the state to disband the riotous crowd. And that was referred to, that's referred to now as the Stoneman Riots of 1970. And that event would go on to set a new precedent in the national park policing and a new division of law enforcement rangers was established. And so uh, we affectionately refer to those um lovely uh, 
guys and gals to this day as LEs or law enforcement. It's not a um, derogatory term. It's just an abbreviation or LEO is the other uh, abbreviation for that law enforcement officer. So although they were not necessarily a part of the riots, the Yosemite climber dirt bags were unfortunately the subject of much scorn um, thereafter. And they were kind of the example of what the National Park Service wanted to eradicate from the parks. The next few years were contentious, to say the least, between the LEs and the rock climbers. Free meals and coffee and free coffee from the cafeterias were a thing of the past as law enforcement officers began cracking down on petty theft. Minor infractions, such as taking a cup of coffee left behind from a deserted table, uh, was met with up to a week in jail or eviction from the park. So for men living on just a few dollars a season, the new rules were devastating to their lifestyle. That is until December 9th of 1976, when a, t- when a twin engine plane carrying two passengers and 6,000 pounds of Primo marijuana fell out of the sky and crashed into Lower Merced Pass Lake in Yosemite National Park. The events leading up to the crash remain unknown. The wreckage was not discovered until two park employees found an airplane wing near the lake on a snowshoeing trip in January of 1977, so several weeks later. When the employees returned from their trip, they reported what they had found to the local rangers, the local law enforcement. And it became... Pretty soon it became clear what the plane was carrying when the ranger reporting the missing aircraft to the Air Force Rescue Coordination Center uh, uh, found that suddenly four different federal agencies, including the DEA and Customs, were on their way to survey the scene. So the agencies located the crash site and found just sacks full of marijuana ripped apart all over the shoreline of the lake, as well as several bales of marijuana sticking out of the ice surrounding the plane. It had all been frozen in place there in the tiny lake. So they gathered up the what was left on the shore, and then the officers cut into the ice, and um, dive teams uh, got into the, the frigid, murky water to locate more cargo and possibly the pilots. But the, mar- the water was so murky with engine fuel and debris, and this included gnarled bits of aluminum from the plane. It was really dangerous to be down there, especially when they couldn't see. Uh, one ranger doing the dive described it as darker than the inside of a cow. I imagine is pretty dark. Uh, the Rangers cover, recovered about 2,000 pounds of marijuana on that trip and uh, piled it into the helicopter and loaded it in the Yosemite Jail, also affectionately known as the John Muir Hotel, uh, to dry out. So park officials and federal agencies weren't the only ones to have an interest in Dope Lake. <laughs> as it was called, word of the crash and cargo spread through the valley and soon reached the young men at Camp 4. Uh, a winter storm forced a stop in the recovery and the rangers were brought back to the valley, leaving the rest of the cargo and the debris to sit through the incoming weather until spring when they could get up there and recover it safely. So the unguarded weed essentially was left unattended and the Yosemite gold rush was on. 
Many climbers in Camp 4 pulled weed out of Dope Lake that winter. Where the rangers would no longer go, they hiked in carrying tools stolen from construction sites. And they smashed the ice and drug the weed out of the lake, carried their spoils out dripping wet, and dried it out in tents and boulder fields. Uh, the goods were called airplane weed and crash bud and began making its way all over Yosemite Valley. And sometimes the fuel-soaked marijuana would explode when sparked, leaving a telling sign of singed eyebrows and burned hair on the unsuspecting victim. So once the weed had made its way into a steady rotation in the valley, some young entrepreneurs took the drugs down to the Bay Area and offloaded it on drug dealers and high schoolers. And they made a ton of cash. Soon, dirtbag climbers who were once who were at once pilfering leftover cafeteria food were going out and buying steak dinners at Yosemite's fine dining restaurant and leaving massive tips. So people started showing up in Camp 4 with cars and new rock climbing equipment that could cost thousands of dollars. And it's even suspected that some famous climbers of the time used the money to fund their own companies. Some of the largest single payouts of the operation may have exceeded $20,000. It was a good time to be young, rich, and sexy in Camp 4. By April, the well at Dope Lake had nearly run dry, and the rangers were on their way back to execute a full recovery and to catch the no-good nooks at work. But as the rangers approached the lake, everyone scattered and fled, and no one was ever convicted for the events at Dope Lake. The rangers continued the recovery effort over the next couple of weeks with much less work than they had anticipated as most of the cargo had been removed and the climbers who made their fortune from airplane weed went on to set amazing routes on the valley walls with the climbing equipment funded by their entrepreneurship. Some of those young men bought cameras and became successful nature photographers and some even went to college and funded their uh, education with their spoils as well. And although I know that park service rangers would never admit it, one has to wonder if they purposely turned a blind eye to the activity. Maybe they really didn't know what was going on, or maybe they just didn't want to pull all that damn weed out of the lake just to go wasted locked up in a jail cell, dripping slowly down the drain into obscurity when, if given the opportunity, it could flourish and thrive and make for one hell of a story. I want to thank you all for listening to this episode of Little Yo Pod, the All Things Yosemite podcast. Check the show notes for links to all the resources that I use for this episode, including an awesome podcast interview with someone who was actually there for the events at Camp 4 and Dope Lake. If you like this episode, please share it with a friend and rate and review. I have been seeing some increased activity in podcast land since my last episode, my last plea for reviews. So thank you everyone who has taken time to rate Little Yo. Um, and I want to give a massive hang in there shout out to all of my Yosemite people who are on lockdown during the COVID-19 pandemic. 
Um, my thoughts are with you all. I miss you all so much and I can't wait until we are all back together again. Here's to better times ahead. Until then, thanks for listening and have a beautiful day. Bye.